Offside with Andrew Gunley and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a basement in the suburbs of New York City and an apartment in Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. The EPL season preview part one. What's up, brother? A new season is upon us. I can't get over it, Andrew. It's, it's unbelievable. And this part one of our EPL season previews is going to be as rummaging around in the dark a show as we've done, considering that window don't close till October 5th. Yeah, well, if you remember, this is kind of the way that it used to be. Like, I feel like we're only a couple years removed from when the window did extend a month into the season. I know, but all the uncertainty, there's a lot of teams out there need business doing I know, and, and and usually, oftentimes, some of the biggest business doesn't happen until deadline day. So, you know, it's you're right. Like rummaging around in the dark is the right way to put it. It's also funny just because um, the season only just ended. Yeah. So, like now we've cut. We kind of just everyone just saw these teams. Like oftentimes, we'll do our season preview because we sort of have to like almost provide a refresher as to the situation of you know here's how we left you know, back in May and here's what's changed other than like, yes, there have been some big name transfer movement, but like we feel we pretty much know everyone's up to speed. Like there's also, we only just got finished seeing this three weeks ago. There's also the slightly depressing factor that I think we could all make our peace with no fans in the stadium and this, Oh, I hate this term now. I'm so done with it. This new normal when we knew we'd be finishing a season. But I think what we haven't reconciled in our in our brains, in our football brains, is that we're now starting a season with no fans, with this strange, strange uh, backdrop. And and um, that's kind of depressing. But it's still football. It is. It certainly is. Uh, so we're going to get into it. We've got 10 kind of important key questions that we feel like will provide you with like a large swath of everything that you kind of need to know coming into this. However, I did make a point of saying this is EPL season preview part one. I want to tell everybody right now, later this week, Thursday, we're going to have part two coming out, which will have our predictions. It will have Guy Mowbray joining us. We spoke to him earlier in the summer. It was an awesome conversation. We got Great feedback from a lot of you guys out there listening, so we thought it'd be an awesome time to have him back on to preview the season. And it is also our EPL mailbag edition. So basically, any thoughts, any questions, any comments, anything that you want us to discuss, um, start sending that to us right now, whether it be at COSoccerPod on Twitter, uh, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com on email, and caughtoffsideespn on Instagram. Any method you choose. Start sending your questions now, whether it be something that's on your head right now at this very second, or you listen to this podcast and it's something that we didn't get to. That's why we do part two, because we have a chance to make up for any of the conversation that you didn't hear that you wanted to hear. Uh, You have a chance to impact it directly. So this Thursday, you've got two days now um, to start getting any comments and questions to us so we can do all that. And help a fan. 2021 has begun. We've had a plethora of emails in. Um, uh, Just a couple of notes on that. I will be starting to respond to those today so you can look out in your inbox for your new team, the English team you shall cherish forever. I'd also like to make a point to those of you, if you really support Borussia Dortmund, Olympic Marseille, or Inter Milan, or somebody along those lines, a foreign club, I'm not sure you should be looking for an English club. 
If your prime concern is that club, if that's the team you care about most of all, I don't think this is for you. This is for people who want to have a primary club, the team they care about being based in the English Premier League. I would disagree with you. This, and I don't want to go too far into this, but like, how is it that much different? Like, I have an MLS club and I have an EPO club. Somebody else has a Syria A club and wants to have an EPO club. Like, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Let's let's be honest. There's always that team for whom the game is appointment viewing. The the transfer action is viewed over assiduously and 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 parsed. There is the team you go to the bar. Remember, remember bars when we could go to bars? There is that team that you go to the bar to watch. And then there's other teams. As much as you like your Philly teams and your Philadelphia Union, the fate of Tottenham Hotspur is what dictates your mood for the week. And well, you know it. I'm just saying that who are you to play God and tell people that they're not allowed to support another club if they never said never said that. I never even told them not to enter. I'm just saying that maybe unless you're look, let's take the example of our good friend TJ, whose wife was given Stoke. How many years ago? Four years ago? And she still follows Stoke. That's the kind of person we're really aiming toward. Let's let's be honest. She's an unbelievable fan. All right. Uh, but we're here to talk about the Premier League as it makes its return. So I've got a bunch of questions here. We're going to go through them one by one. Uh, I should say, too, you and I, sometimes we will like cross-reference with one another. And we'll say, okay, well, like, I'm going to cover this team here. So you know, you stay away. We have not done that. So this is all purely not that we're not always genuine but this is like really genuine um there's no manufacturing this to try to cater to each other's uh no pandering yeah all right you ready yeah let's go so the first question i have here let's go right to the new guys uh jj which newly promoted side do you think will finish the highest i'm i've gone with leeds united which is to people who listen to this podcast they'd find that rather predictable um but I'm not sure how high their finish will be, but I think they will be the highest finishing of the promoted side. It might be 10th or 11th, but I think Leeds are the best of the promoted sides. As a unit, they've adapted to Bielsa's style of play over the course of just two seasons. And I think it's a style of play that can be successful in the top flight. What remains to be seen for me, Andrew, is whether a Patrick Bamford or a Jack Harrison are Premier League quality players, regardless of how successful the system they executed was in the championship. Um, Bielsa has certainly factored in the set up, the uh, step up rather in quality into his plans. He signed Rodrigo from Valencia to bolster at- the attack and German centre-back Robin Koch from Freiburg. There's lots of questions to be answered. Calvin Phillips in the top flight, highly rated. Is he a good enough holding midfielder? to play in the Premier League. Is there enough goals in the side? How do they use Pablo Hernandez? He's now 35. I think Leeds will be the best of the promoted sides, but I'm not sure yet how that's going to look. But they've no reason to start doubting Bielsa now, in my view. Yeah, I actually agree with you. This is the club that I uh, that I went with as well. And it, you know, we've talked a lot about them. I, I was trying so hard to not even factor in like the glamour factor of them returning. Um, but I, I think there's a couple things here. Um, one of which, I, if you look back, I feel like you generally find that sometimes championship sides with great attacking units to them, that doesn't always translate to the Premier League, but good defensive units do. Now, Leeds happen to have the, both, uh, uh, have the best of both worlds, uh, but they allowed just 35 goals last season. That was fewest in the league. 
So let's look back and see how that has worked out for previous teams that allowed the fewest goals. The year before them, Sheffield United conceded the fewest in the championship. The year before that, Wolves did. Before that, Newcastle and Brighton. These teams have all, at bare minimum, avoided relegation and at maximum have actually contended for top four in the case of Wolves and if you maybe want to say Sheffield United. So defense translates, it seems, from one uh, league to the next. And like you said, the other reason, too, that you mentioned, I I really think that Marcelo Bielsa is a is an unbelievable X, X factor for a championship manager to come into the Premier League. Like you can find quotes from Pep Guardiola and Maurizio Pochettino where they just they like exude unbelievable praise on this guy. I think it was Pochettino that referred to him as almost a second father. He'll press high. He's going to make teams uncomfortable. Uh, you mentioned some of the transfers that they brought in. Rodrigo, especially among them, Helder Costa from Wolves as well. Um, and their disadvantage is the same disadvantage as everybody. Ellen Road would have been such a cool place, obviously, for um, Leeds to come back to the Premier League and just hear that place at full roar. Um, so it's a disadvantage that that won't be the case, but it's the same disadvantage for everybody. So I almost don't even look at that at that way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you're a Leeds supporter right now, I think you probably have to feel good about uh, their re-entry into the league. Um, should we continue? Next yeah, question? let's go. All right. Uh, so now, JJ, which club that finished outside the top four last season has the best chance of finishing inside the top four this season? Yeah, I, I had a real trouble answering this one, Andrew, um, because I don't think there'll be that much change in the top four. So I suppose who is the best chance is is the question. I, I boiled it down to Wolves or Arsenal. Uh, we've been seeing renewed cup resilience uh, from Arteta's Arsenal but will that transform into an extended league run? Will they be that much better in the league or, or is it going to take a little longer for Arteta to get a hold on this whole thing? Um, Wolves have lost Matt Doherty, goal-scoring wide man, but should be largely unchanged for Nuno Espirito Santo. Plus, they've signed wonder kid uh, Fabio Silva for a club record amount. He's only 18. He looks extremely exciting from Porto. And Marceau from Lyon, which will, will help bolster the squad in the wide areas as well. I could only boil it down to Wolves or Arsenal, and I don't really know which one that will be. They'll be better. They should push on. But I think the top top four will stay as is. Well, here we go. Oh, boy. I went, JJ, with a club that was not Wolves or Arsenal. That's right, my friend. I went with Jose Mourinho and Spurs. Wow, that, that TV show has really had an effect on you. That's right. Amazon, what? Fight me on this, JJ. So here's the deal. I don't I don't care what they look like, what it looks like, because we are not here to please you, JJ Devaney. Yes, I'm talking to you directly. So here are the things that I'll say about why I chose them. First off, like this is again, it's an eye roll statistic, but from the day he was appointed through the end of the season, Tottenham were actually fourth. So I think sometimes with Mourinho, what I have found from the past year is that because when it's bad it looks really bad. Like they don't lose pretty under Pochettino. Like I remember the four, two loss to Chelsea. Everyone is lauding Tottenham's performance, but like, okay, you played great, but it's a loss under Mourinho. When they lose, it's, it's ugly. And so I think it magnifies like how bad a club you think they are under him because of how bad they look when it doesn't go well, but they were fourth from the time he joined to the end of the season. Um, Chelsea were seventh. Arsenal were eighth. Leicester were 11th. Uh, So that means something to me. And look, there are certainly questions about this. I'm not dumb. And like you, I believe that the gap from four to five is is there. Like I, I just because I think they're most likely to finish top four of the non of the clubs that didn't doesn't mean that I think they will. 
Um, but of some of the other questions, you know, we were told that Harry Kane couldn't succeed under Mourinho. Well, wasn't true. He starred under him. Kane's health is always going to be a question. He hasn't shown an ability to get through a season unscathed. Um, so, you know, it's hard to kind of like build around that ideal. But for now, he's healthy. Their defense will be an issue, but Matt Doherty for REA is an upgrade. Um, I always said last season that with Mourinho, I wasn't going to judge him in year one. And his track record is that judge him in his second year. And typically his second year does bear some kind of results for the clubs that he goes to. So I'm going to put a little bit of blind loyalty in him. I'm going to assume that him being able to get some guys that he wants in there is important. I'll be curious to see Steven Bergwijn in year two under Mourinho. Fast winger, run who can run into flick long balls. I think, you know, players like him, LaCelso in year two, a full season with Mourinho. So, you know, like I said, it's the team that has the best chance. I don't think they will. But uh, for everybody who, who wrote them off because they didn't like how they looked under him last season, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. People have enjoyed our chats about All or Nothing on Amazon Prime. So uh, we probably we probably get back to that on Thursday if there's a question about All or Nothing. We'll get on to season, uh, sorry, episode two and three. Yeah, yeah. I would like to very much to talk about it with you because there are some things in there that I feel like contradict some of the basic perceptions that people have of Mourinho, but I'm sure that you will once again find reasons to discount those things. It's, it's just, this is like it watching that show. It's like a psychological experiment. Like it, it's truly one of these situations I, where people kind of see and hear what they want to I, see and hear. No, no. In, in fact, it's overwhelmingly from our listeners. They share your perspective of this charming man. Right. Well, yeah, people I'm trying to be generous to you. You, I've always said that you you want to hate him and you will no. you shake your head at that. You want to hate him. It's true. And it's okay. You're not alone. People don't like him. No. I, for whatever reason. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty... No, you're I'm not. I'm pretty not bothered. No, but let's talk about the show. I'm not bothered about what I'm seeing from him. I just don't see why it's so captivating to everyone else and why we've got listeners tweeting us, oh man, I don't know what you're talking about, JJ. I'd run through a brick wall for him. I don't see that part. Because you don't want let's move let's move on because you're just you're just repeating yourself and i want to smash you in the face all right um i'll go first on this next one which manager is entering the season on the hottest i'm curious for your take on this so i actually i actually thought this was pretty easy oh um of all these questions this is the one i i like filled out the quickest and that's uh ole gunner solskjaer at manchester united just because only because the jj the man has been living on the edge basically since the day he was hired and every time it feels like he's about to be pushed over the cliff, he finds new footing. So now he enters a season with real expectations. Um, like the squad, when healthy, which they are, is they're pretty close to loaded. And you've added Van de Beek, who, while we're still not sure exactly where he slots in, he's a player that you and I both love. Mm. And if this manager can't find the best way to use him, that will be a problem. Um, full season of Bruno Fernandez, Pogba back. You know, the three-headed monster up front, you expect them to take a, a step forward as they're all still pretty young players, especially Greenwood. Um, and look, like you mentioned at the top of this podcast, it's important to say it again, the transfer window is still open. And it's just hard for me to believe that Manchester United are done making moves. Right. Um, so, like, you know, I don't know. It, I just, I feel like it, with expectations at a higher level than normal, like this is the first season he's entered where... like. Fair or not, he's going to be expected to contend with Liverpool and Manchester City. And that's going to be a tall order for him to do. You know, finishing 33 points behind Liverpool last year, 15 points behind Manchester City. 
Like to make up that ground is not going to be easy, but I believe people within those walls at Manchester United believe that that's where they should be this season. So, you know, it's, if it goes wrong, it's, it's probably not all going to be his fault, but he will be like, if they're, if we're in November or December and they're clearly not a part of the title race, they haven't made up that ground. You know, he's, he will be the first to go. Uh, He's been, it's been close for a while. And like I said, he's, He's given himself new life time and time again, but this this may be a bridge too far if they don't get off to a good start. Oh, look, I agree with you. There's no doubt it's a hot seat. I've gone in a different direction. Um, I've gone with David Moyes. What has David Moyes done to earn the hottest seat tag? I hear you cry. He kept West Ham up, didn't he? Again? I hear you roar. Uh, sometimes a seat, Andrew, is hot simply because everything else around the manager is on fire and therefore the seat gets hot. It's conduction. Let's just take a quick look at the last week of preseason for the Moyes Meister General. So Moyes sees highly rated youngster, somebody we believe he wanted to keep, uh, Grady Diangana, gets sold to West Brom for what seems like a paltry $12 million. Uh, In response to this, his club captain, Mark Noble, tweets out, As captain of this football club, I'm gutted, angry, and sad that Grady has left. Great kid with a great future. And that was followed up on Instagram by Declan Rice liking it and by Wilshire responding saying, I hope you go somewhere where you're appreciated. Um, That's not good. Moyes Sider then battered 5-2 by Bournemouth, prompting them to make a bid for James Tarkovsky of Burnley to help fix the defensive dilemma. We heard months ago that financially West Ham need to shed some expensive underperformers, but they've got no takers for the players that they have. So we've got this kind of double-edged problem. Nobody in, nobody out. Uh, GSB out is trending on Twitter. That's Gold, Sullivan and Brady, the owners. And amid this maelstrom is our hero, David Moyes, trying to plan for a new season. He's on a really hot seat, and I don't think it's his fault. This is amazing what what has happened here. And this is why this podcast works, JJ. Because, again, like I said, none of this is manufactured. Like, I support VAR, you hate VAR. I support Mourinho, you hate Mourinho. And now... A perfect transition from everything you just said about Moyes. Let's go to the next question here, and I'll go first. And the next question is, which club do you see making the biggest jump in the table from where they were a year ago? No. And JJ, I I swear we did not talk about this. The first thing I wrote here. So I look at West Ham right now, and I just don't think we're looking at a sub-40 point club. Oh, my word. Shall I continue? Oh, go, or go on. Have please. I already lost you? No, please, because there are merits to this. There definitely so, are. So here, here's why I say that. Cause, and, and look, I don't want to get too caught up in what was a relatively short spell of form under bizarre circumstances at the end of last season. But from July 1st to the end of the year, the Hammers played seven matches. They won three, including a win over Chelsea. They drew three, including a draw with United. And they lost just once, and that was just a 1-0 to Burnley, which there's not a ton of shame in that. I think they found some consistency towards the end of the season. And now we get a full season of Jared Bowen, Thomas Suchek, who's back in the side, both of whom looked really good to end last Although, year. Will, and, will they even have Suchek for the opening game? Because he's been quarantined with the rest of the Czech Republic team. That's true, because of what happened with the Czech side. But but they'll have him. He's on the team, and if, if he misses the first game, or maybe two games... He'll be back after that. It's not a long-term situation. Um, and then the other thing was, like, 
the Mikel Antonio rebirth at the end of last season. Stats Bomb pointed this out uh, after the restart. Antonio was second only to Raheem Sterling in expected goals. Uh, they go on to say, even if we unfairly disregard Antonio's four-goal, nine-shot game against Norwich, he still scopes out very well, a shade under three shots and 0.55 expected goals per 90 in the Moyes era is everything you want from a center forward on a non-elite team. It'll be hard to keep him out of the starting lineup when the league resumes, providing an injury sustained in warm-up match against Brentford does not persist, which we don't, I believe, right now have any reason to think it does. We now see Declan Rice coming into his own. Solid enough bench with Yarmolenko, Felipe Anderson, and I'll even throw Sebastian Haller in there as well. Not as a first-team striker. He didn't cut it, but as, uh, as reinforcements off the bench to Antonio, he's not a terrible option. Fabianski and Net, Cresswell, Diop, uh, Fredericks, Agbana, back four. It's not, I don't know, un, like, it's it's not a bad team. But you me. can take. And you can say, like, everything you said about Moyes means that, okay, maybe they're just kind of, like, mentally rattled right now. But, uh, and it's, again, it's hard for me to gauge for how that manifests itself on the field. But on paper, like, they finished on 39 points last year. I think it's it's very fair for their supporters to expect more from that team. Oh, be under no doubts that they do expect more. But a lot of the guys you named there haven't really performed. You're looking at guys like Yarmolenko, Anderson. Those are the wages that West Ham are looking to get rid of and can't get rid of. So even Haller, I mean, I I just think if they get to October 5th without having moved some of these guys out and got somebody in defensively, I don't know, this... They're not happy anyway. The fans really aren't happy. Also, what if Chelsea make a a renewed bid for Declan Rice and he goes? I mean... Well, yeah, look, I can't... You can't predict that, I know. I don't know. Like, I can only go off of what's there right now. Um, I I don't see... I get what you're saying. I don't see it as rosy as you do. Um, But I also couldn't pick one team in particular that we're going to see a ton of movement, upward movement... Uh, from this season, uh, apart from obviously the teams that have switched divisions who have done tremendously well. Um, I kind of have a feeling that Wolves might push further up, as I said before. Uh, Ralph Hassenhutl, Southampton, showed plenty of promise, but probably going to be reliant again on Danny Ings having another big, big season. Do Aston Villa really improve that much? They look to have nabbed the highly rated striker, Ali Watkins, from under the nose of Tottenham. Um, they bought him from Bournemouth, so maybe that's a, a signing that kicks them on. I don't know. I... I I really don't have one answer to this like you. You've Oh, so you didn't actually answer. No, I've I've got a few teams that I think can push on, but maybe maybe Everton do as well. I, I at this point I think there's when I look at those teams just below 6, 7, 8, 9, 10th or even look at the teams that were almost relegated in Aston Villa, they need to do a lot more in the market before I think yeah, they're going to be much much better than they were last season or much much higher up the table. Wow, coward. All right, next question. Uh, let's see, JJ. Which player are you most excited about this season? Look, I have to say, and it's the old romantic in me, James Rodriguez. It it that transfer just does something to me. There's there's something about a move that that you know he's six years at Real Madrid. He's shown pretty consistent at times in his loan moves. You know, little glimpses of what we all expected after that World Cup in 2014. I think he's an absolutely quality player that hasn't found a home even at 29. And it'll be absolutely fascinating how he does at Goodison Park. And I said it before, 
he could be the kind of player that ends up as a cult figure at the club. He's going to bring creativity to the side. He's going to bring that spark, that excitement that gets the crowd going. I mean, I'm trying to think, when is the last time Everton have had a genuine, standout, exciting player of this kind of, maybe not of this stature, maybe they've never had anyone of... of well, I mean, does does Lukaku fit that build? Goal scorer, but a, a guy that can create, a guy that's going to beat players, a guy that every time you get the ball, you're going to be up out of your seat. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm sure that they have absolutely in the past had players like that, but... Probably uh, Donovan from his brief loan spell. Maybe. I haven't... I, I can't remember an Everton player as exciting as this one. Um, and and I was thinking of the past. Uh, it weirdly feels like when Gianfranco Zola joined Chelsea at a similar age back in 1996. And look at the legend he he went on to become at Stamford Bridge. I think it's time for Hamas to be loved, like really loved, embraced by a club. And for whatever reason, I feel like that may happen at Goodison Park at Everton. The other player, obviously, Hakim Zayek is my is my other one. I enjoyed his performances so much at Ajax. I'd be curious to see how he goes at Chelsea. He'll probably do well, unfortunately. Uh, let's see, JJ. I went in a, a little bit of a different direction. Probably this is more of like a specific, selfish almost direction here. This is for all my Americans out there. What up, Americans? That's right, JJ. We have a new player to welcome into the world's greatest league, and obviously he's with Fulham. Uh, Anthony Robinson gets the move from Wigan to Fulham. Remember, this he was about to join AC Milan over the winter, but he right. failed his physical. Uh, you know, as I was I was going through this with Anthony Robinson, uh, I came across uh, Brian Strauss's story on him in Sports Illustrated. Did you happen to see this? I don't think I've read that one, no. So it, it only just came out a couple days ago, but he explains in this story basically why Robinson's move from Wigan to AC Milan fell through and why he failed his physical. I did not know this. I'll, I'll just read this um, this excerpt from the story here because it's pretty fascinating. Strauss writes, Toward the end of the winter transfer window, a 22-year-old Wigan athletic defender, Robinson, who had never played top-tier professional football, somehow was on his way to Italy to join the seven-time European champions. Then he failed his medical exam because of his body's sensitivity to caffeine. That's right. The irregular heart rhythm detected by Milan doctors that scuttled Robinson's transfer wasn't the result of some urgent congenital issue. It likely was the product of energy drinks and coffee. Robinson, Milan, and Wigan didn't know that at the time, so he was scheduled for a surgical procedure designed to fix the defect. Then, during the delay caused by the pandemic's onset, as Robinson feared his career might hang in the balance, his heart corrected itself. So in June, as leagues resumed around Europe, Robinson was back on the field wearing Wigan blue and white instead of Milan's Rossoneri. That's amazing. That is how his move to AC Milan wound up not happening. Do you realize how many professional footballers rely on caffeine, both as as team-mandated, well, not mandated, but team-advised and also just on their own? A friend of mine played League of Ireland, continues to play League of Ireland football, and he used to love an espresso an hour before kickoff. And Liverpool drink apple juice laced with caffeine at halftime. As a as the best delivery advice for the joke, I remember when England played in Poland and the game was called off because of torrential rain. It's about five or six years ago under Roy Hodgson, and one of the things the players was complaining was Ashley Cole said, "I've already had my caffeine pill. I'll never sleep tonight." 
<laughs> so it, it plays it yeah. plays a huge part in um in, in uh-huh. football as a stimulant. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, like for this, it, it felt like I was reading about like Elaine Bennis's poppy seed issue on Seinfeld. But I'm excited about Robinson just because you know he spoke to Scott Parker and made it sound like Parker really really wants him there and has a plan for him. And Robinson also consulted with Fulham's other American player Tim Ream, uh, and Ream was basically going on and on about how great a fit he would be there. So. Look, this is his best audition yet to prove not only that AC Milan were right to be banging on his door, but also that he can be the U.S.'s left back of the future. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see this kid in action in this league. I'm not going to pour cold water on that, but AC Milan also were in talks with Jeff Hendrick, who ended up at Newcastle United. They've been making very un... And, and I'm not being disrespectful to either Robinson or Hendrick, but they've been making very un-AC Milan inquiries of late, and I wonder what's going so, on. Well, yeah, you're right. Robinson did say that, you know, he's kind of taken the approach of everything happens for a reason. Obviously, he would have loved to have been playing at AC Milan, but um, this idea of, okay, he had, he would have gone there and not really played. And he's aware of that. So, you know, I don't know. You're right. AC Milan are making some unconventional moves. And I don't know what are behind them. But um, I should also mention that Robinson came to prominence under Paul Cook, who was the Wigan manager and former Sligo Rovers manager who brought through Seamus Coleman, who ended up at Everton. So he has a he has a penchant for getting and identifying good wide fullback players and wingers. And by the way, Robinson's, how shall we put it, education under Cook would have been about passing and moving the football. So you're getting a player who's going to be technically good. And that's what Fulham do. So this could work out. Yeah. So again, this is one of those situations where for the neutral fans out there here in the US, when you turn on... NBC in the morning and you're just not sure which game you want to watch. Well, I know some people like they'll put on Newcastle if Yedlin's in the lineup. Obviously Pulisic at Chelsea was like a, a, a gravitational force for American fans <laughs> last year. And now if Fulham are on and there's not really another game that you're particularly interested in, well, you got Anthony Robinson. So uh, there you go, Americans. Uh, let's see. Next question, JJ. Um, yes. Curious what you'll say for this one. How many true title contenders do you see right now? Well, as we sit here right now, I think there's two. I think there's Liverpool and Manchester City. I think you will see possible periodic surges from both United and Chelsea. But right now, I I know Chelsea have added Thiago Silva. I'm not sure that's enough. Uh, a lot will depend on the on the health of of uh, Conte. Um, United, I'm not. I'm not convinced that they can go on with the defensive problems that they have. So I think it's two solid uh, title contenders, as we saw last season, City and Liverpool going head to head. But if United and Chelsea can buy players before October 5th, maybe maybe they can bolster that, that, uh, that title challenge. But I, I just don't see it right now. Yeah, so I, I, I mostly agree. I, I said that I believe there are two and a half because uh, I think Liverpool and City... Uh, but I think just purely the curiosity of all of these moves that Chelsea have made for really like high level elite talent, yeah. um, if it works, then it could work spectacularly well. And so that's why I said two and a half, because like I'm just until I see it in front of me, there's really no way of knowing how these guys will all mesh together. Um, and like you said, with Manchester United, you know, we think they can make more moves, but okay, if they wait until October to do that, these guys could miss a couple games. And then on top of that, like there's always that adjustment period of working them in. And with how good Liverpool and Manchester City are, 
Like you get behind the eight ball quickly, you can fall out of that title race pretty fast. Yeah. So and I I don't see dominant defenders at either Manchester United or Chelsea. Um and, and Silva's still a good player, don't get me wrong. Yeah, that but that may No, but you're right, you're right though. Like that's that for me is is the big hold up with going all in on Chelsea as being one of those teams because okay, Thiago Silva on a free is a nice bit of business, but a 35-year-old central defender coming from a league uh, club that dominated possession. Like if that's your move to to bolster your defense, like I don't know if that's enough to just say okay, well we're good there. Like if the partner next to him was, you know, Van Dyke, then yeah, of course, but it's going to be Rudiger or Zuma or Christensen, so right. like that's I don't know that that's enough for me. And look at United as well. We've got Harry Maguire's current problems. Um, we've got two fullbacks that people aren't 100% sure about yet. Wambasaka and Shaw, are they going to provide enough width going forward? Defensively, they should be okay, I guess. There's too many question marks yet, and but I'm not saying it can't be resolved. And also, I'm not downplaying the fact that Chelsea have bought Timo Werner, Zayek, Kai Havertz. They'll have Pulisic in the side as well. I mean, that is... But it, right, that's the thing. Is like if it works, it could be unbelievable. We could see a, a entertainers part two. We could see a Chelsea side in the mold of that Newcastle team that was just awesome going forward, but couldn't defend. So, right, but like we said, we talked about defense. Chelsea conceded fifty four goals. They've last got year. to that address was, that was eleventh. Uh, so, yeah, and there'll be a question mark over the manager if he adds Thiago Silva. Um, surely he will be able to organize that defense to be much better than it was. Yeah, they did add Ben Chilwell too. So oh, I, I forgot about Chilwell. Yep, we should my bad, that. my bad. So, yeah. Um, all right. Now I'm always curious with with where this one goes. Um, JJ, which club just screams average to you? Well, again, I went back and forth on this one, but I've settled on uh, Crystal Palace. Um, they didn't enjoy a good restart. They only scored 31 goals, second lowest in the league have a permanently want-away star player in Wilfred Zaha and a squad that you just mutter, that's fine about. Luko Miljojevic, James McArthur, James McCarthy, Gary Cahill. I suppose with Chelsea's Conor Gallagher, I think he's going to be on loan there. They may have the breakout young star of the new season. He's very highly rated. Or maybe that will be Ebreki Eze signed from QPR. I don't know. Two young stars. Okay, it brings down the average age of the team a little bit too. I was going to initially say Newcastle, but they've bagged Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser uh, this morning or in the last 24 hours or so. A few days. Yeah, which I guess makes them a bit better. But I've settled on Crystal Palace. There's just a lot of players like I read out, MacArthur, McCarthy, Cahill. Mm, Just not for me. I think they'll be... I mean, they still have Zaha. And I mentioned him, but I mean... He fell off quite a bit last season. Not getting his move has affected him. I I don't know. Will it continue? I mean, could he possibly move in this window? I don't know. I, I certainly think Crystal Palace won't have that. Just, I may be very, very colored by the fact that they were so poor during the restart. Maybe that's stuck in my brain, but um, they are very meh to me. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Uh, let's see. I went with Brighton um, as just screaming average to me. Mm. And by the way, in, in their case, I think that's a compliment um, for a club that's just trying to stave off relegation. Like, I, I don't know. I just kind of look at them and like Graham Potter, 
once again going to lean on defense and has a nice keeper in, in Matt Ryan. Lewis Dunk is back. Uh, Joel Veltman signed on the cheap from Ajax. I think it was just under a million pounds, um, which is pretty good for them. Uh, and then like in the midfield, Adam Lalana on a free. That's nice, but I don't know that it really swings the way I feel about them. And like Neil Malpe up front, who ended the season well, 10 goals last year. Nice, nice player, but not really getting me excited. Like, I think that they'll just kind of exist and we won't really, sorry, Brighton fans, but we probably won't really talk about them because they're not going to contend for anything. But I think that when it's all said and done, I think they'll be safe this year. I Um, I think you're being very unfair, especially considering the style of, the style of play that Graham Potter has consistently gone with with this team they're going to be adventurous they're going to try and pass the ball um be interesting to see them without Aaron Moy who's gone off to China but I actually maybe maybe they'll be average but they'll have done well to be average if you understand what I mean well that's literally what I said at the start of this I said I think that that saying it is a compliment yeah but I think they deserve special praise for the way that they play I do I do think that really yeah Look at the way they played against Arsenal and Liverpool during the restart. I mean, it cost them against Liverpool, but, you know, they're brave. They want to pass out from the back. They want to play. Their Potter is very, very tied to his principles, and I think that's something that is... uh, Look, they're not going to go into a shell and launch long balls like like a lot of teams will when they come up. I I like it. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm going to look more into into what you're saying here. I, I like Graham Potter, basically, is what I'm saying. I also need uh, Aaron Connolly to score 15 goals this season. So. Why is that? Irish international, Andrew. Oh, I see. Uh, all right. Uh, next one here. JJ, your dark horse team heading into the season. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to go first. Yeah, well, you can go of- first. I can just do mine quickly. I, th- I think uh, they're not really a dark horse. We're aware of them, but I think they're going to push hard and it's going to be Wolves. That's my view. Oh, okay. Um so, mine, you kind of said some of this before when you were talking about James Rodriguez, but my dark horse team is Everton. Mm. Um, and maybe that's cheating a little bit, but I say dark horse only because in the last six years, they finished 11th, 11th, 7th, 8th, 8th, and 12th. So, like, traditionally, when we talk about the big six, Everton in the past has always been the club that people believe is most likely to break through that barrier. But with those finishes over the past six years, I kind of feel like that idea has drifted out of people's minds. And now they've been replaced by Leicester and Wolves as the club who can do that. But like this is this could be a different Everton. And I know they've said that before, but Ancelotti back as manager, Hamas Rodriguez coming in um, like with with that manager and with that caliber of player, they can't really hide anymore. Um, you talked all about Hamas, so I don't really need to go too deeply into that. However, I will say this, like now they have the player that I think they always hoped Gilfie Sigurdsson could be, but just was never going to be Agreed. this creative force in midfield that, you know, can not only set up Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin for goals, but can score some too. Um, so, you know, I just kind of look from back to front and I feel like, and this is optimistic to say this, but I feel like they kind of have a potential star at pretty much every spot in the field. And I like I'll say Jordan Pickford just because we saw what he can be. He took a step back. He took a step back. He took a step back. I'm aware, but like he took he, two, he did take two years ago. He was you know coming off of that World Cup. He was the toast of the of the world. He took, he took a couple of steps back and ended up with the ball in the net for sure. Yes, 
Um, you know, Lucas Digne at, at fullback, Michael Keane, who got better as the season went on, Hamas, like we talked about in midfield, Allen, also in from Napoli, and then up front, Richarlison. Um, so, you know, and like they actually have a little bit of depth too. Um, remember last year, JJ, the uh, Moisa Ken signing was one of the biggest signings of the season, and he didn't perform, but he's just 20. So, like, who's to say that he's done developing as a player? So, I'm they are a dark horse for me just because this, you know, if Hamas works and Ancelotti, you know, continues to kind of be the manager that we've known him to be, um, I don't know. I feel like maybe they do finally work their way back into the conversation of, of clubs that can break through the, uh, the big six and bump Wolves and Everton or Wolves and Leicester down a pick. I just add to that, Everton's midfield has been a problem for a few years now, even going back to Roberto Martinez. I think Allen needs to work. I think I think Hamas will work. I, I do believe that. I don't believe he's going, he'll get kicked around a bit, but I don't believe that the league is, he won't be able to to slot in there. Um, I think Allen has to work from in, 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 in his midfield position. I think that needs to work and needs to work straight away. Uh, let's see. Next one here. Which player needs to have a big season? I, I thought about this one a lot, Andrew, and uh, there were a few candidates, quite a few candidates, but I couldn't get away from David De Gea at Manchester United. £18.2 million sterling, $23 million salary. The top earner at Manchester United is under incredible pressure. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will continue to show fate with him, but ensuring Dean Henderson is at United this season is a warning sign. After the calamitous FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea, Opta had these stats on the United number one, and they don't make for good reading. What reflects less fav- favorably on De Gea is Opta's goals prevented figure. This is calculated by taking away the number of goals conceded, excluding own goals and penalties, from the expected goals on target. An expected goal on target is an effort that Opta would ordinarily expect to result in goal. De Gea has faced 32.3 expected goals on target, and after removing own goals and penalties, he's conceded 32. That leaves him with a goals-prevented figure of 0.3, which essentially means he has not prevented any goals beyond the saves you would expect the average keeper to make. If United are to continue to progress, and De Gea is to keep the number one shirt, that has to change. He needs a massive season. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one by you. Uh, let's see. I went JJ with Adama Traore um, because I I can't quite uh, like I know you're bullish on Wolves and I think they'll be a top ten side, um, but I can't quite tell if I think they will contend for top four in quite the same way that they did last season. Um, you know, they like to they like to sit back and defend a little bit and then bite you on the counter, but defense they're without Johnny due to injury and they've lost Matt Doherty to Spurs, like we talked about. So, and up to this point, they've done nothing to replace either. So for them to contend for top four, I think something is going to have to be a little bit different. And for me, I think Traore can be that player who is, who brings something different. Cause now we saw it to say, we saw it in flashes last season is a little bit unfair. Uh, there were sustained spells where this guy was elite. If he can, if he can unlock the next level of his game, I honestly believe he can be among the five best players in this league. Uh, and if he is that, if he becomes that weapon, other clubs are going to just, like, he's not containable. There are not players like him that combine that size and speed. Um, and, like, as great as he was, he only started 27 matches last year. He appeared in 37, but he only started 27. 
his four goals, nine assists numbers, like, I don't know, they're not, especially nine assists, not bad, but from having watched him a lot yeah. last year, I was actually a little disappointed when I was going back looking at this and saw that that's what he ended the season with. And his XG and X expected assists were actually even lower. So, like, as good as he is, there is still room to grow. There is. Uh, if he can boost that goals number, that assist number, like, I think that he is, he has the talent to do those things. I, um, I wonder, so we'll, we'll see. I wonder, Andrew, and I believe, I actually believe he's not consistent enough yet, although I can see him getting there. I wonder if Matt Doherty not being there or when he was there, he sucked up a lot of those goals, a lot, you know, and probably a few assists as well on that right-hand side. What happens when Matt Doherty goes? Is this a bonus? Is this, does it mean that the ball, that diagonal from the center backs that's often played and from the midfield goes exclusively to Adama Traore now and that he gets more touches on the ball, more chances to create? It's a, it's, it's a question that's going to be answered very soon, but I, I'll be curious to see how that comes about. Yeah, uh, but he, like, for me personally, I said this at the end of last season, he might be the player that I enjoy watching the most. Right. Um, you know, just like his ability to take it from defense to attack without making a pass, just like dribbling through guys with just like this raw power. I, I love the uh, consistency he's got from his crossing now. Like, he has very little backswing. He'll He'll play the ball past the defender, and with no backswing, he'll dig out a brilliant cross almost every time. But, you know, maybe maybe he can improve on those figures from last season. Yeah. Uh, let's see, one more for you here, JJ. What are you personally most excited about this season? I'm just excited about having the season back, the rhythms of football back. I'm disappointed that we're starting this season in the manner that we are. We'll have no fans inside the stadium. And look, I agree with what Hander Herrera said, where football is not the same without supporters. But I feel like maybe we can look forward to sometime towards the end of this season, having fans back in the ground, getting back to what used to be normal. And that's the big thing for me, that new season, new hope. And the hope is extended way beyond what your team's going to do this season. Maybe at, by the end of this season, we'll be, we'll be closer to what, what used to be the thing that got us excited every weekend. That's that's the way I feel. Yeah, it's funny. I actually said the same thing. I said, for me, like where we are right now, there are not fans in stadiums, but I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like kind of this um, naive belief within me, but I just have to believe by the end of the season, we will we'll be getting back to that. Um, and it's just kind of this like carrot at the end of the stick of something to kind of look forward to as the season progresses, because those scenes of when these buildings start getting filled up again, um, I feel like are just going to be so emotional um, because of how much this means to people and um, having it taken away from them over the last year. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I just can't stress enough how much I look forward to it. Like, you know, soccer more than any sport, I think the crowd is, is really an active participant in the game. You know, so, so much so in fact that like networks became uncomfortable, even airing games without at least providing some artificial crowd noise in the background. Cause it, it almost made people uncomfortable to watch yeah. in, in this silence. Um, I can't, so I can't wait to get back to crowds, man. And I know we're not there yet, but it's just the hope of that will be something special. It really will. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. That's, just the thought of it coming back. I've been watching the the Spurs all or nothing. And just like you've almost gotten to, for, you know, gotten to a place where you forget what those days are like and watching the show now, you know, seeing 
White Hart Lane filled and how loud it can get and like seeing highlights from other grounds. Um, you miss it. Like you really, I'm not trying to just like pander to fans or anything. It's, it's one of the most fun things about the sport and you really miss it. I've got to believe, I just have to believe that um, by the end of the year, maybe we can be back to at least partially full stadiums. Um, small steps, small steps. Well, but uh, there you go. Th- those are my questions for you. Thanks, man. Uh, I-, I enjoyed them. I thought they were great. And uh, and obviously, there's blanks to be filled in. And you can fill in the blanks by getting in touch with us via the mailbag, via any of our social media accounts. If you've got a question that we haven't answered during our 10 big questions, we will answer it on Thursday. At CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram and uh, caught offside pod at gmail.com via the email. I'm always forgetting. We, we have too much. It's no, too it, much. but it's like we have three different platforms all with different. Like, how do we, we can't, we have a hard time remembering each of these things. How are we supposed to expect the people? to? Well, you never, you're never on any of them. It's just me. So you don't even have to remember. I've taken that burden away from you, my friend. That's true. That's true. Maybe this, maybe this week before the games start, I'll do like, maybe we'll do a special uh, Twitter chat on Friday or something. That would be good. That would be amazing. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll launch your first ever Instagram account. What do you mean? You don't have an Instagram. Oh, oh, no, I don't. And I've tried to use, I actually have tried to use our show one, but you can't remember the password, so I can't log on. It, How do you get no, on? No, it's a safe space for our listeners to stay safe and away from you. That's the whole point. So you're saying if you want to go and just tear into me, but you don't, but you're too much of a coward for me to see it, <laughs> that's where you go. By the way, because- uh, we need to be up to at least episode three of All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur for next Thursday, I believe. Uh, done. Oh, you're al- you're already there. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's fine. I want to. I, I could finish the show. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You and I are gonna end this podcast now, and I'll finish the whole show. Go ahead. I have no problem with that. I, I can't get enough of it. By the way, um, while we've got some time, I found the absolute daddy, the best. We were talking about access and actually seeing things happen on Amazon Prime. Guys, get over and watch QPR. The four-year plan. I rewatched it. I've already mentioned this on this pod. I don't know how many years ago it was. This is about when QPR are taken over and about the owners' attempts to get them back to the Premier League. It is just unbelievable. Flavio Briatore, the chairman, actually making someone go downstairs, holding a phone and telling the manager what substitutes he wants to see. Calling players by the most in the stands watching his team player calling players abusive names because they missed the target just watch it guys this is access all right this is access (laughs) that sounds pretty good we should mention too by the way um since this is an epl centric podcast i'll try to shoehorn this in by saying Lionel messi will not be playing for manchester city this season we didn't even Um, bother with an emergency podcast when he did his little conversation with goal a couple of days ago on friday wasn't it yeah and you know in i guess to pat you and i on the back we did like it felt like when this all originally went down and messi made this demand to leave um it felt like there were a lot of journalists who I greatly respect and trust who, who truly said, this is over. This cannot be repaired. He will not play for Barcelona again. And 
like we we did leave open the the possibility of whether it be because of the 700 million figure or because of cooler heads prevailing or whatever but like this happening Messi playing one more year at Barcelona was always in the cards um and it'll be I think it could be interesting to see from a fan's perspective because I feel like now Barcelona fans all kind of know okay we have we have this year to really appreciate this guy and kind of shower him with with love you know this that they that they have for him so I'll be um, unfortunately they won't be in the stands to do it at least not at the start of the season but um, I think people in in that supporters of that club will have a, a truly different appreciation for him maybe this year than they have the last couple of years I don't feel this story is going anywhere though I mean well it's kind of over for now it's over for now but with the uh, the comments and the quotes in the goal piece he's he talks about how it would have been absolutely heartbreaking to leave and how he couldn't have let, he just couldn't, even with his family, Tiago asking, you know, being very upset about the thought of leaving Barcelona. But at the same time, there is such bitterness towards the board, such a sense of being betrayed by every decision that's being made over the last few years that um, I, I don't think this saga is over. No, well, I think it's over for this season, though, That right? Like after this season, he's gone. That's that's the assumption. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. so yeah, uh, but yeah, he'll be playing for Barcelona this season. That's 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 that is right. settled. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Like I said, the mailbag special. All your EPL questions, get him in now. Guy Mowbray as well, and our predictions, which uh, with the transfer window still open and with no fans in stadiums and situations feeling somewhat unpredictable, based on if a player suddenly comes down asymptomatic but has to then disappear for two weeks or whatever, like our predictions are always a joke and totally useless, but never more so uh, than this year. So take them uh, with, with one of the largest grains of salt you've ever seen. But anyway, this was fun, JJ. To you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 